No, they don't appreciate it. I appreciate it, all right? Very, very much. Um, very, very good. How y'all doing? Tired. I can tell. It's a tired crowd. Wednesday night's the most, um, how should I say this, unexpected night, you know? Sunday morning there seems to be a flow. Sunday night, I can tell. Wednesday night, some weeks, it's, there's people everywhere. Other weeks, it's the few and the brave, which is you guys tonight, right? You are here. The only one talking to me so far is Rebecca. Um, okay. Uh, we're going to go on. Are you watching online? Are you people online awake? Anybody out there in the uh, internet, wide world, web world awake? Okay. Hopefully you are. Um, I suppose if you were not, you probably wouldn't be watching. But then again, I don't know. Teenagers today probably can tune into the internet while they're asleep. Probably know how to do that. Uh, but it's going to be good tonight, all right? I'm gonna, hopefully God's Word's going to bless you. We're going to be in John chapter 3. So if you have your Bible, John chapter 3, we're in the life of the Messiah looking at... Uh, the life of Jesus from a Jewish perspective using all four gospel accounts. Uh, we've been primarily in the, um, the gospel of John here in the, the segment of where Jesus is at early in his ministry. And if you know anything about the gospels, you know that John includes some things that none of the other gospels mention. And so right now we're pretty much in John, which is fine. We're looking at Jesus' famous interaction with a a uh, very moral and religious man, a man named Nicodemus, and we saw that he's a Pharisee, which undergird his uh, religious philosophy, and he also was a ruler of the Jews, meaning he was part of a political and uh, religious organization, the most powerful one in the land underneath Rome, and we saw that Nick comes to Jesus in recognition of the things that Jesus was doing, which were claiming Jesus was claiming to be Messiah, which got him interested. And many of the Pharisees were talking about it, but the Bible says only this one man had the courage and was uh, the conviction to go talk to Jesus about it. And um, Jesus, as we saw last week, switches the conversation to the need to be born again in verse uh, number three. He says, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, uh, as I hope many of you may have been surprised uh, last week to learn that in first century Pharisaism that it was not uncommon, the term being born anew or born again was not a new thing. A lot of times we think that's only a New Testament thing. No, it actually goes back uh, before that. And so Nicodemus did understand the term from a Jewish perspective. But then in verse number four, Nicodemus, when he hears this, he asked Jesus, how can a man be born when he is old? And last week we saw the key to understanding that passage or to, the question to ask is, why does Nicodemus say when he is old? I mean, is it, it could, you would think that it doesn't matter what age someone is, they can't be born again. But there's significance in that. And we saw last week that the Pharisees taught there were actually six different ways a man could be born anew. And if you want to know more about that, you're going to have to listen to last week's message. I'm sure Oscar will put a little pop-up menu right here in this corner or this corner or down in this corner or down in this corner or in the link below, one of those places. You'll probably find it. Um, but it's in there somewhere. But if you want to hear more about that, that's last week. But need to understand that as we move forward in our conversation in this, this famous conversation. Uh, let's pick up tonight in verse number five. The Bible says, Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Um, Jesus 
as he responds here to Nicodemus who asked this question, again, Jesus tells him truly, truly, or verily, verily, he goes, all right, get, get a hold of this. Um, and he uses a, a teaching technique that was common of teachers in that era and really is an effective one to this very day. Teaches, Jesus teaches Nicodemus from the known to the unknown. The known to Nicodemus was the meaning of being born again, but the unknown to Nicodemus was that there was a spiritual possibility of being born again. Now, last week, as I said, we saw that there were six different ways that the, Jew, or that the Pharisees taught that a person could be born again, and all six of them were based in the physical realm of the life we now live. Matter of fact, you remember the first one that uh, Nicodemus would have experienced was going through his Jewish bar mitzvah at the age of 13. And once you've gone through that, a man was now uh, accountable for his own sins and accountable under the Mosaic law. And a new life was now his in front of him. And this progressed in different ways and possibilities throughout the life of, of, uh, of a man. You see, the Pharisees' teaching, being born again, only had a physical connotation, only a physical one. So Jesus takes him from the known to the unknown. He affirms that a man must be born physically, and I think also, I don't think, I think Jesus was in some effect saying, it's fine for a person to go through their bar mitzvah and fine for them to earn the uh, study if they feel God's called to be a rabbi and uh, fine to go through a marriage and all these different things. But he says he also must be born of the Spirit. And he makes a very bold statement, as he said earlier in verse 3, if he's not born of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That's pretty unequivocal, isn't it? There's not a lot of wiggle room there. And uh, I'm sure Nicodemus had, was already, his head was spinning. But I think you need to understand what was probably going through Nicodemus's head at this point. He was recognizing that Jesus, by saying this, was rejecting one of the fundamental theology viewpoints of the Pharisees. Remember a few weeks ago we talked about this, that the Pharisees, one of the things that made them, the part of the thing that they preached really hard is that if you were Jewish, you were in. You're in the club, you know, by just by the fact that you happened by to be born in the Jewish, of, you know, that, that you are automatically on your way to heaven. When Jesus says this, Trust me, Nicodemus did the math really quick and he, he understood that Jesus is saying everything I've ever believed in and all the people that I've been taught under the things that I've taught is wrong. This is why early on the, the whole Pharisees, you know, turned quickly against uh, the Lord. Jesus is saying, no, it don't work that way. Just doing physical things is insufficient there must be a spiritual new birth. And again, I imagine when Nicodemus's facial expressions or what he must have been looking at, like, what are you, you, know, what are you talking about? You ever had the opportunity to talk to somebody about spiritual realities and, you know, the natural man comprehendeth not the things of God for they are foolishness unto them? You know, I mean, there's been many times in our spiritual journey where Jen and I will share with somebody uh, when they realize we're making a certain decision regarding our marriage or our family and they say, you know, why would you do that? And then you share with them a, the biblical principle of why you're doing it and they look at you like you have lost your mind. Like, um, I remember one time, let's just throw this out. I remember one time, it was back, like, we were living in Indiana with the people that had the dogs next to us. Um, I was talking to that guy and, and um, 
talking about, I don't know how we got on the subject of money, but somehow I, I made it clear that we gave, you know, a, a percentage of our income went to our local church and into missions and stuff. And he looked at me like I was the craziest person. I remember saying, well, I could never afford to do that. Like, like all of a sudden I was like some rich guy. <laughs> and, and yet, if you've lived for the Lord any length of time, um, God is good, isn't he? And I can tell you, I haven't lived the times where I took from God and I did not purpose in my heart and I did not give cheerfully um, that that ended up costing me far more than, you know, just being obedient. Now, that being said, I don't want to get off into that topic, but it's a, it's a good one. But people don't understand. The natural man doesn't understand. And I think Nicodemus is looking at Jesus going, what do you mean? What is it, a spiritual new birth? So Jesus goes on, and, and you can see the flow here now develop of why Jesus continues to respond the way he does. Imagine Nicodemus looking at him, and he says in verse 6, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. And, and so in verse number 6, he, he goes on and declares there are these two births, and they're separate and distinct. He says that you must be born of the Spirit. In, in the Greek, again, it's really strong, probably in your uh, translation it there. You know, there's a capital S on the first Spirit and a small one on the other one. Um, Jesus is telling them there's, there's got to be a divine, a, a God-creating new birth where God takes a dead human spirit that is hopelessly separated from God by our sin and miraculously brings it to life through faith. And this new creature is created, and it's a whole new life. In many ways, it is. Matter of fact, Jesus says it's very much just like being born in the physical life. There's this new creation in Christ. I was telling uh, Drew before church, and he rained on my parade, but that's okay. That's okay, Drew. You can rain on my parade. It was pretty funny. Um, but I remember I'd seen these T-shirts, and so I looked it up online, and they did exist. I remembered this phrase, uh, never had one myself. Maybe some of you here this evening have had one of these or watching online had one of these t-shirts. Maybe they're still out there. But the t-shirt simply says, born once, die twice. Born twice, die once. Anybody, ever, anybody else ever seen those ones? All right, Karen, okay, no, nobody just kissed Karen and I. Just, did you ever have one of those t-shirts, Karen? No? And I never had one either. But, you know, there's a lot. The, the, the point being, if you're, you just experience physical birth, but you never experience spiritual birth, then you're going to die twice. You're going to die physically, and then you're going to die spiritually. The second death, Drew, that the Revelation calls it. This, this is the second death. Um, Drew had to bring up, he says, well, I guess Lazarus doesn't, couldn't wear that T-shirt then. Um, <laughs> that was pretty funny. I thought it was pretty good. I thought it was pretty good myself. I know he's going to have his own unique one made, you know. Uh, he died once, twice. Yeah, and then he was born once. And bo- he, he would do twice, twice, right? I mean, I guess, you know, you know I, I don't mind anything. So you make those Lazarus t-shirts. See what kind of a market there is for those. Um, but for the rest of us normal people, we, we make a choice. And you're born once, you die twice. But if you're born twice, you only die once. And I'm thankful for the, the gift of eternal life. But don't miss the fact that Jesus is also fundamentally telling Nicodemus there's nothing you can do to earn the kingdom. It must be this spiritual new birth. And he goes on to explain to this confused Pharisee by using an illustration. You know, aren't you thankful for good illustrations? Sometimes they work. Sometimes they don't work. Now, when the Lord used them, they always worked. Mine, not always. Now, if you were here Sunday morning, you know I went out on the edge a little bit. 
and uh, did the old box illustration. If you haven't seen that, it's on last Sunday's uh, uh, Throwing Anxiety Out and was demonstrating that the Bible commands us to cast our cares. Literally, the word means throw. And I heard from the gasping of many of you that when I decided to throw all the boxes, Jenny had not quite cleared the area. Now, I could not see, if you watched the thing all that well, and if you'll notice in the tape, I veered around the corner and saw my lovely wife making her way back to her chair. How was I to know she had a change of ideas and decided to go out on her own and do what she wasn't supposed to do and come back? But um, I did miss her by God's grace because if I'd have hit her, I would have never heard the end of it from her, from you, from everybody. And that's what happens when illustrations, you know, with the 50-pound weights that I told you were in each box that really would have been painful. So I'm really thankful, you know, honey, it, it didn't hit you. Um, yes, that was sarcasm. But Jesus was a master use of illustrations. Uh, like, can I tell that Pastor Danny story? Him and I used to argue. You remember that, Rebecca? You probably, you may or not. He probably went home some night and he probably told you once time in his spiritual growth. Like, well, you know, sometimes I think Pastor just tells too many illustrations. He told me this one time. You know, he's probably not watching. If he is, yeah, I like telling these stories on you. It's assistant pastor stuff. And he, he was growing in, the, in his faith and he had such a love for the Word of God. He would <laughs> tell me, he says, I just don't see why there's a need for you to tell stories or to give illustrations. Just tell him the Bible. I tried not to laugh at him you know that would have probably been damaging to his face so I'm trying to I'm trying not to laugh and look at him real serious because he was serious and and, uh, we should just know word of God and then I I asked him that I remember asking him that question I said have you read the gospels I remember his oil's gone off and gone if you'll read it you'll find that Jesus was a master storyteller and a master illustrator you would do well to do the same because the sheep being y'all if we don't give you something to think about and illustrate truth and make it enjoyable to listen to y'all tune out now you tune out sometimes anyway but it makes it even more difficult but Jesus was an expert at giving illustrations and stories and we find that as we're going to read on in the story in verses 7 and 8 Jesus says in verse 7, Marvel not that I said unto, unto thee, ye must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou uh, hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh, and whither it goeth. So is every one that is born of the Spirit. And so as Nick is, the Bible says, I love where Jesus says, marvel not. Of course, in our generation, if I use that, that verse of scripture, for most of our generation, all people would think about is Marvel superhero movies. So um, I thought, yeah, the real Marvel hero, you know, who would that be? Be certainly the Lord Jesus, but Nicodemus is marveling. You know, I think this is a guy that was really trying to find the truth, and he's hearing things that are fundamentally opposite of what he's ever heard, and it's got him just, wow. So much wow, I think he was beginning, can I, is, could this really, this is so crazy, how could this be true? And uh, Jesus reaffirms it, saying, you know, hey, marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. Now, again, just real quickly here, I'm going to make up, because um, sometimes I get these questions and whatever, and um, I'm a big advocate of textual criticism, really from the Greek and Hebrew texts, are where I would argue the most on the preservation of scriptures. I do believe God divinely uh, was involved in the preservation of the scriptures, but um, sometimes I get, why do you read the one that says these and thou's? One of the reasons I like it is because the these and the thou's mean things. They really do. Uh, anybody who does English will tell you that the, the, the 16 to 1700, and of course our, our 
you know, my 1611 people, I hate to break it to you, but the translation we have now is really updated in 1789. It was just mon- and it was the language does change some, but I would say that it was the epicenter, the strength, the strongest part of the English language. You, would you not agree with me that the longer we speak quote unquote English, the dumber we get? People can't communicate today without using profanities or stupid things because they, they don't know how to use words. And the great writers um, understood the power of language. But from a very simplistic one, understand that right here when uh, Jesus says, marvel not that I said unto thee, we know definitively, instead of just saying, marvel not that I say unto you, you could be singular or plural. This makes no question about if it's singular or plural. Jesus says, I am saying to you singular. Now, if I were to continue with the generic you in verse number seven, marvel not that I said unto you, you must be born again. Okay, that's a true statement, but I prefer much better, marvel not that I said unto thee, ye. Now, is ye singular or plural? It's plural. Now, why did Jesus go from singular to plural? There's a reason for that. Jesus is telling Nicodemus, I'm saying directly to you that y'all, if I can put it into Southern terms, y'all, meaning all you Pharisees that are teaching this thing about you just born Jewish so you get to heaven, y'all must be born again. Every single one of you. See the different nuance that carries? Jesus is making a much broader, stronger stance here than just an individual Nicodemus. You got to be born again. That, that, that has meaning and purpose, and that's good. But Jesus is saying, <laughs> Nicodemus, it ain't just you. It's all those people down at the Sanhedrin, the Sadducees. It's all of y'all. It's every man. And he goes on again and uses this illustration about the wind and that the wind comes and goes and does what it wants to do. And certainly if you're uh, from Alabama here, maybe you don't know this, but we are one of the highest uh, tornado states in the country. Uh, I did, when I moved here, I was not aware of that. I thought all the tornadoes stayed in Oklahoma and Kansas out there. But no, they, they come here uh, frequently. And so we know a little bit about wind uh, around here. We know about straight line winds, and we can even experience all the way up here uh, in Montgomery area, we can experience uh, hurricanes. Some of you were around... Uh, uh, was it Ivan that got all the way up here? It was still, was it Cat 1 when it got all the way up here? It hung in there pretty good, didn't it? Um, it can happen. Um, and so, you know, we know a little bit about wind. And yet Jesus says, you know, we don't know, we can't describe where it comes from and, you know, how it moves. And I was thinking about that, and I thought, you know, I know there's some that would be watching and say, yeah, well, back in Jesus' day, you know, they were really dumb. They didn't understand this stuff. You know, again, this humbly, you know, do you think the average Egyptian back in the day was smarter than the average American today? You know, just we are not, I, I would negate, we are better with technology today than we've ever been. But I would submit individually, are we smarter? I wouldn't think so. And so when it comes to, underst- was Jesus just making some statement like, well, the wind comes and we don't understand anything about it? No, I think they understood. Matter of fact, you remember when Jesus was uh, having a confrontation, we'll get to it later, he'll have a confrontation with the Pharisees and he's rebuking them and he says to them, y'all understand when the skies are red and lowering, you do this and when they're clear, you do that. So he, he, they, they understood some basic weather things. I think Jesus is making a big statement though that even to this very day, here we are in 2023 and the mighty United States of America and I guess if you listen to the conspiracy theories, I don't know, but I don't, 
think that there's anybody that when we see a hurricane coming, not a whole lot they can do about stopping that, is there? As a matter of fact, as somebody who lived in Central Florida for many years, you know, I remember, was it Gene, Jenny, Hurricane Gene, that, oh, this one's definitely, we, got, we had been hit by one, another one was coming, they said, oh, this one's not going to hit you for sure. It's going to come in, and it's going to go scope along the east coast of Florida, and it's going to head back out to, to the Atlantic. And it did. Oh, and all the people rejoiced. Until the next day, they said, a uh, problem. And literally, you can look at the map. It made a U-turn and came straight across Central Florida nailed us so forgive me when i don't believe a whole lot to this very day that we have a big handle on this but jesus is making this powerful statement and i don't know about you i understand that when someone comes to faith in christ i reject the notion that it has to be a primarily emotional or feeling driven decision it is not but that doesn't mean it can't be and one thing i think that every person that has come to christ should have, and I would think theologically must have in common, it's at some point along the way you had an understanding and you were convicted by the Spirit of God that you were a sinner separated from God spiritually dead. Do you remember when the Spirit moved on your heart? Now, for some of you, it may come in different ways. You know, I've led people to the Lord where they've been weeping, others that have sat there very stoically but said, do you understand you're a sinner? Oh, yeah, I know I'm a sinner. That the Holy Spirit draws us And he moves. And he moves in ways oftentimes that we don't understand. And I will tell you another thing that amazes me. If it was up to you and I, we think, well, that person over there, they'll probably get saved. And that one, has that ever surprised you sometimes, the people upon whom the Spirit of God moves and the people that come to Christ? God has a real sense of humor and his ways are way above our ways. And um, I remember as a seven-year-old kid, which is why I believe really strongly in children's programs. I believe really strongly in Awana and junior church programs. I also, by the way, support some parents are really strong. They want their kids with them in church, and we keep kids in our church service for part of the service because I think it's important for them to be in here and experience corporate worship, stuff like that. But I know for me, when a child evangelist came in and just shared a very simple the, 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 the colors in the box, you know, where they would lift up the box and the different, it would change colors inside there, you know. I still don't know how that worked. To this day, I don't know. It was a miracle. I don't know. But I remember after that service, when they asked if, if we wanted to trust Jesus as our Savior and go to heaven, they didn't do a pushy invitation. Matter of fact, they closed the service and said, if you want to do that, you come up after the service, which I really, you know, I was just a kid. I didn't know any better. But I did know when I remember to this day telling my dad, I need to trust Jesus as my Savior. I need, I, I can still remember God drawing me to himself and, and uh, praise God as a seven-year-old kid. You know, God saves kids, amen? Some of them actually grow up and God calls them into ministry. What a sense of humor. So who can tell? And so God, Jesus uses this illustration and I think Nicodemus starts to get it, but yet he doesn't because look at verse 9. Nicodemus answered and said unto him, How can these things be? How can this happen? How does one get spiritually reborn? How, I think he's also asking there, how in the world can this reality be true? And after all the study that I have done, I don't understand it. How could I live my whole life, be an old guy and not know this? You know, some of you, 
Oh, many of you here tonight, we don't, we don't have very many old people in here tonight. Everybody's nice and young. Everybody in this room, young and vibrant. Um, I got saved at the age of seven. I don't think, I think I know almost everybody in here. I know most of y'all's personality or uh, testimonies pretty well. But is there anybody here tonight that you came to know the Lord after the age of 60? Anybody here that had a spouse or immediate family member that that was the case? Got, came to faith later in their life? Bob, you had, who, curious, your family, who, a, a dad, a mom, a, you. <laughs> hey, okay, so we got one. Oh, you were 30. Okay, not 60. But oh, no, 60, 60. 30's close, though. To a 16-year-old, a 30-year-old might as well be 60. I'm going to go with you there. And that's still, but you'd, you'd probably still, even if you were, even at that point, um, there's a, there, the, the things that you humanly experience when you come to Christ at the age of 30 versus 7 or even 16 can be very different. Sarah? That's pretty close. Yeah, it's because you came into the world. That's, uh, that's uh, <laughs> it's a longer. Oh, good. Not a good play there. Well, not a good play. Good try, but not a good play. Um, I'm curious though. Did when you came to faith, whether you were in your 30s or I'm just going to call 30s and up a little older. Okay. Um, when you started recognizing the reality of what Christ was offering and did offer to you. Wasn't there a sense of kind of wonderment, like Bob, like, how did I live this long and I, waste my life? I don't want to be a little kind with that word, but, you know, I know, uh, Brock, you were old too when you didn't, how old, how old were you when you came to faith? You were 29, so you were pretty close. Um, yeah, I, I'll never forget, um, you know, I, I'll never forget Rick. I didn't have the privilege of leading Rick to the Lord. Uh, Pastor Dersh did that. Appreciate Brother Dersh. Right. Um, Doug's back there. I don't know if you remember that when he came to your house and Melody and and Rick both made professions of faith and I showed up here a few months later, six months later, something like that when the church was having all the problems and all that. I showed up in the middle of problems. But um, I'll never forget how many times Rick would tell me, Pastor, if I'd have just known why didn't I know this stuff on here? Because Rick made a few, Rick, if you're listening, you know, you told me this. You told it in front of everybody, and if you knew Rick, you know, he would say whatever, right? People who knew Rick, so don't think I'm bad. He would, he would have stood up in this room and said this, you know. I lived, I lived all this stuff. I thought I was having a great life, and I would do this and do that, and none of it ever brought me happiness. Boy, I wish I'd have known earlier. Now, he said it's only my own fault because he had a grandfather who was a, pa- was a preacher or whatever, and he goes, but I always thought that was, you know. But what a testimony, the bottom line is the wind moves and the Spirit's drawn all men to himself. And if you're still breathing tonight, there's still hope for you. The wind still blows. So Jesus, and I love this, when Nicodemus says, how can these things be? You ever ask God a question like that? Well, Lord, how can these things be? Look what Jesus says to him in verse number 10. Jesus answered and said unto him, art thou a master, and we saw last week, art thou the master of Israel and knowest not these things? <laughs> where you tell God and God looks at you and says well let me ask you a question how do you not know now obviously Nicodemus was uh, 
a guy that, you know, we know from his being born again, if he went through the natural process, he not only bar mitzvah, then he went through marriage, and then he became a rabbi probably around the age of 30, and he had that title, and he even became, remember we called, we studied last week the term rabban, which literally means in Hebrew, the teacher, by becoming a teacher of teachers. He was a seminary president. He was the top teacher in the area. This guy knew the law. He knew the prophets. He knew the writings. In other words, he knew the Old Testament. And Jesus says, how can you not know? Um, Few of us today, especially us Gentiles, will ever know the Old Testament the way Nicodemus did. Unfortunately, we should. But I would go out on a limb and say Nicodemus had good portions of it memorized and he had a lot of knowledge. But for all that knowledge, he was still blind. You know, I grew up, and I'm thankful my dad was one of those that got saved like Bob, like about your age as a young adult. And, but when my dad, you've heard my testimony, I'm thankful that my dad, when he got saved, didn't mess around deciding whether he was in or out in terms of his discipleship. But he said, I've been doing it wrong but bless God, I'm going to find a church. I'm going to plug in at a church. I'm going to live for God. I'm going to serve God. When he had generations ahead of him that had not. And he just started doing the right thing. He just did. And I grew up in church. And you know my theological stance. I don't believe there's any one of us that can tell. I can't tell who's saved People, I can tell by what they do. No, you can't, because Christians can do a lot of evil, awful things. Being saved is based on belief, not on behavior. Now, we can tell from looking at someone if they're living in the spirit or living in the flesh. I can tell you that much. But I grew up in church, and there were people that they were there, and they were there, and they were there, and they were there, and it wouldn't be until years later they would either reject completely or they would say something like when they finally did get saved, I lived for years and I knew all the answers, I could quote all the verses, but knowledge in and of itself won't save. There has to be a new birth. You, I, we have to be born again. And if there's never been a time where a person personally recognized my need for the new birth, that I am dead in my sins separated from God, but that God sent his son to die for me and rise again that I could go heaven. If that hasn't occurred, according to the word of God, according to John chapter 3, you you are dead in your sins. But you can know a whole lot. I understand that in the Jewish perspective here, these folks in this culture were immersed in the Torah, in the Old Testament, and in the Mosaic law. And so there was a lot of knowledge among all the folks there but oftentimes not a lot of faith and there was a lot of blindness. And some might say, well, we don't have that today. Well, does anybody remember when America was far more of a Judeo-Christian culture? Some of us older people, over 30, um, (laughs) I don't know how old you have to be. It's a good question. Um, When I was a kid, the famous statement, when I was a kid, let alone when Brock was a kid, Um, when we were young, if you were to go to the local public school, wherever you grew up, whatever part of the country, 
and you were to go to the second or third graders, let's say, and go into their classroom and sit down in front of their classrooms and say, can anybody tell me the story of Noah and the ark? How many kids in the classroom would raise their hand and say they could know Noah and the ark? I would suggest when I was a kid, probably almost every single kid in the room. How many can tell me the story of Adam and Eve or David and Goliath or Jesus and dying on the cross? But I wonder, even in the Bible Belt, Alabama, let alone in much more spiritually hardened places like the Northeast and the Northwest, if you were to go into a public school today and talk to second and third graders and say, do you know about David and Goliath? How many do you think would be in the room that would know? Whose fault is that? God's? You see, we used to live in a Christian, quote-unquote, Judeo culture, but at the end of the day, knowledge is not enough. Maybe as a culture, we had a whole bunch of knowledge, generically speaking, but we didn't seem to have a whole lot of the new birth. But I'm very thankful that today, the Bible teaches very clearly. Well, you tell me. Matter of fact, we close tonight. See, I'm going to get done early. Praise the Lord. Um, if someone in today doesn't, since it's not so much Judeo-Christian culture in our country anymore, and you have somebody that's living in a family, they don't attend church or a Bible teaching church at all, um, how in the world can they ever come to faith? Anybody? How would you say, how can they come to know the new birth? Anybody? You got come on. So when's the night? All right, so another Christian's example. Okay, anybody give me something else? Come on. I know it's Wednesday night. All right. Yeah, you see that thing? That's, I saw, was it Oscar that put that on there? Were you, were you sharing that with us men today, Oscar? Uh, Dinesh D'Souza's thing on the revival in the Middle East. Yeah, that's, I, that's actually been going on. Um, I, I, I like to listen, and he's with the Lord now, but there was a young man who got saved that very way, and Nabil Qureshi, if you want to look him up online, he's got some really good YouTube videos. Um, I don't understand why the, you know, I don't understand, but he ended up with cancer and passed away, but he was a powerful apologist. Um, and yeah, I think in dark countries, I don't, yeah, I think the Lord is doing a work in the Muslim countries. Millions of them are coming to faith. Uh, anybody else? How else might someone come to know? If they've never gone to church or they didn't have a neighbor that told them, they just walked in, but you know, their heart is didn't, come on, what does the Bible tell them? Social media. <laughs> Spoken like a young person. <laughs> a gospel track, all right? Um, what is the Bible? Give me a Bible verse. I'm going to make it harder. I, I'm talking about how a methodology God uses. They're not going to be looking up John 3.16. They need to hear it. Yes. Okay, Romans 14 or Romans 10. Excuse me, how should they hear without a preacher? Um, all right, yeah, Drew. There you go. Okay, there's one. There's one. Uh, Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament showeth handy that there is no language in which their uh, language is not heard. And, you know, so, you know, you look up at those guys, it forces every human being into a decision. I don't know about you, but I'm a believer in the great creator and I walk outside and it, sometimes it just, I look at that stuff and I say, you, th I, you think this just happened? 
Um, and this is in a fallen world. Now, those of us who believe in a global flood, you know, and that, that once it was even better than this, you know, I mean, I can imagine. But all right, uh, there's, there's one, uh, creation. What's another one? Come on. This one I think is found in 1 Corinthians. I think it's where, I think it's where the reference is on that, uh, where I'm going to give you. Starts with the letter C once again. There's creation and conscience. There you go. Vanna, turn that letter. All right. Um, you know, God put inside all of us human beings this thing, even though it's fractured, this conscience. And Paul wrote that, that you know, that in that conscience begins to be in trouble, that you start seeking and, and the Bible's clear. And people say, oh, what if someone's in some place they don't know? God says, if you seek me, you will find me. And I believe all my heart, whether you're in a dark country like a Muslim country, you're seeking God, he's going to find you. He knows where you are. And he's going to do what he has to do to draw you to himself. Well, that's uh, the new verse. I, I want to stop it here tonight because we're going to, the Lord's going to turn to another um, illustration next week that I want to get into and I want to take the time to have it. So I, I just drew a line here tonight. But uh, I pray that if you're watching online tonight that you know the Lord is your personal Savior. You've been born again by the Spirit and uh, know that heaven is your home. Amen? Amen. Lord, thank you for the teaching of your word tonight. Thank you for the testimony of Nicodemus and uh, this wonderful chapter that gives us such a tremendous hope of simple faith uh, in the new birth and in you for the new birth. And Lord, I pray that as a church, we'd never lose sight of the fact that uh, knowledge alone, as your word says, just puffs up. Help us to learn knowledge that we may apply it to our own lives and then also be a better witness to those around us. Thank you again for your word and your teaching. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. All right. God bless.